right, so you guys can be seated. Uh, I am excited to be here. Thank you for being here tonight, guys. Um, it is always fun to have just a smaller little group here, uh, Session C, and spend uh, just a little more close, uh, tight-knit time together. I'm grateful to um, be here with you guys on Friday nights this next month or so here. Um, tonight, as we begin Session C and our series um, in the parables of Jesus, I want to uh, share with you just a little bit of the very heart of why we are spending this month thinking through the stories that our Savior told. I think it's important to just think a little bit about uh, why we're doing this series before we begin it. And I want to show you just a little bit of what it is that I hope that we pull from the parables of Jesus as we look at them as well. So I want to just give you on the front end three goals or three intentions in this series uh, so that you can set your heart uh, on these goals just like I have this week and as we will do together over the next few weeks as we look at God's Word. Uh, three goals. The first is this, that we would behold the genius of our Savior's teaching. That we would behold the genius of our Savior's teaching. I think we most often think of Jesus, rightly, for his person and work as it relates to salvation. When we think of Jesus, we think of Hebrews 1 or Colossians 1, or we think of uh, his path toward Calvary, and we would be right to do so. Uh, we think of who he is and what he's done as our Savior and Lord, and how he will be exalted to the highest of heavens uh, in eternity, uh, in glory, because of his person and work. I think at the same time, it's not often enough that we consider Jesus as teacher, as rabbi, as master preacher. It's not often we behold the profundity and precision of our Lord's teaching. Jesus preached the greatest sermon ever preached, and his teaching and extension of his perfection and his knowledge enlivened by his affection for the Father, his teaching and expression of his compassion for those around him. So I think this summer we'll just get a taste, a tiny taste of the genius that is our Savior's teaching as we look at the parables. Secondly, I want us to try to grow in how we read and study the Bible. Any chance we get to look at a specific genre of scripture is a unique exercise in growing our capacity for interpreting and understanding scripture. The parables are unique because they are stories that teach. They are embedded in rich context, even as we'll see tonight in the ministry of Jesus and in who he's teaching and in who is within airshot. And then the parables, their content, the, it's, the, the content itself is woven together with cultural and historical background that deepens their significance in, in great ways. And the parables also drive us to consider other parts of Scripture. We will need to go to other passages in Scripture in order to understand them fully, whether it's Old Testament passages uh, that the parables are rooted in, or 
It's the teachings of Jesus, but in other places. When he's said these same things in other ways or in more plain ways. Or maybe it's New Testament passages in the epistles that expound on the point that is being given in each parable. And so that's why I believe the parables will help us to grow in how we read and study the Bible. And third, the third goal is that we would consider the nature of the kingdom, the gospel, and salvation. That we would consider the nature of the kingdom, the gospel, and salvation. Uh, the parables, as we'll see, are about the kingdom of God. They're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're about the salvation that we have and the nature of it, that we, that we have this salvation that is also a coming salvation and was a foretold salvation. The parables are told by the very author and perfecter of our faith. And so as we peer into these windows of a parable at a time, we will see the very nature of the things that he himself would accomplish in salvation as he took on the cross. You see, the parables are not simply moral lessons or fables about life and how to live it wisely. The parables are powerful illustrations of kingdom realities that concern our very soul. So as we hear our Savior speak this month, let's consider the nature of our faith and all that the great teacher Jesus taught, but that he also won for us. And so as we begin our look at the parables, I want to begin tonight by looking at one of the very first parables, and that is the parable of the soils, often called the parable of the sower. Now this parable is a choice example of a parable but its message is also an encapsulation of the heart of all of the parables you see it is a parable par excellence in its length and detail and nuance in and of itself and in its core truth that we will see tonight it will also help us to establish a framework in our hearts for understanding all of the other parables. And so as we spend this month in the parables, and I would challenge you this month as we are in them on Friday nights to take a parable every day and just read through the 40 or so that are in the scriptures and see what you might learn about the genius of our great Savior Jesus how you would learn to read your Bible and study it, and then more about the kingdom and about faith and about salvation. That's what we'll see in the parables. So turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8, and we'll look at tonight the parable of the soils. This is Jesus' instruction to hear the Word of God and do it. This is Jesus' instruction to hear the word of God and do it. 
And as you finish turning there, let me pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thank you for your word, for in it we find truth. We ask your Spirit's help every time we approach because we need his illuminating work in our hearts and minds. So, Father, we ask your help. Uh, We pray that humbly we would come before and learn much tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke 8, I want to look at the heart of the parables. And I want to do so under four headings that will sort of guide us along and in the narrative that is in Luke 8 and also specifically this parable. So first, our first heading, let's look first at the parable told. The parable told. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 4 and we'll read through to verse 8. Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 4. And when a a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, in Luke 8, has been moving through the cities and the villages of Galilee. And as he proceeds, verse 1 tells us that he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the disciples and some of the women are there with him. We see in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. And as he goes, people are beginning to follow him from city and village and going with him. And a great crowd is gathering as he teaches. In fact, the parallel passage in Matthew 13 details that Jesus gets into a boat and goes offshore so that he can be heard by all the people around him, this great crowd. It's here that Jesus begins to teach in parable. In parable. Now, the word parable literally means to cast alongside. You think of probably the word parabola, if you're any bit of a South Campus major. These are stories cast alongside truth. They're vivid illustrations of truth in story form. And so you can think of them simply as comparisons or similes. Even literally some of the parables of Jesus, he says the kingdom of heaven is like, which makes it a simile. Others are metaphors or extended metaphors, um, analogies you could call them. So when we think of the parables of Jesus, we think of the classics, uh, the pearl of great price, or the mustard seed, or the lost sheep, or the sheep and goats. There's probably a favorite or two that you have that comes to mind that I didn't name. Well, in our case tonight, we see the picture of a farmer or a sower planting seed. 
All of these things of regular life, all of these snapshots of life in the first century, familiar, relatable, cast alongside truth. Now, parables were a common form of teaching in the Jewish establishment. Usually, a wise rabbi would tell a kind of riddle or allegory mixed with kind of a proverb of some sort. And it was usually meant to teach some kind of a lesson or a moral or to share some kind of common experience. And so the form of Jesus' teaching here in Luke 8 and throughout all the parables as he speaks in the Gospels is familiar to his audience, at least in form. And yet as we look at the entirety of the parables, about 40 of them in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that Jesus' parables are unique. There is in them a laser focus on the kingdom of God. You see, they aren't just stories with takeaways about life or moral lessons. They are a unique and profound form through which Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. How He Himself is the very fulfillment of all that had been promised through the prophets. About the grace and mercy in God's plan of redemption. Of the nature of true saving faith and what it looks like when you have it. And that He is the accomplisher and King of God's coming kingdom. That's what these parables are all about. And so here in this parable, as you'll see in the others also, there is always one big point. One main truth about the kingdom of God. And so the key to interpreting the parables is to discern that main point. Most of Jesus' parables are not some kind of grand allegory. They're not Animal Farm or Pilgrim's Progress, even, if you could come a little closer to Scripture. Uh, Not every character or every small feature of Jesus' stories is meant to point to some exact spiritual reality. Very often in the parables, there really is only one main kingdom point in You'd be wrong to make more of some of the other things. But it's been overstated, I think, sometimes about the kingdom point in the parables because sometimes there are other layers of parallel in Jesus' stories. Sometimes the characters do represent different people. Sometimes the elements of the story do represent certain concepts or spiritual truths. In fact, in our case tonight, this is true of the different soils, which we'll see in just a moment. But as you read and as you seek to understand the parables this summer, be careful of overanalyzing and overextending the parables, uh, the parallels you think that you see in the parables. So be cognizant of even what Jesus himself cares to explain or doesn't care to explain, or does indeed make clear in the way that he is even storytelling. 
Find help if you need in trusted sources as you seek to discover the meaning of a specific aspect in the parables and examine whether in light of the kingdom truth of the parable itself that this parallel matters or doesn't matter or may not mean what you think it does. As we think about the parables, some of them are brief. Some of them are even just one sentence. And they are more clearly really about that one point that we've been talking about. Others, like the prodigal son or the good Samaritan or the marriage feast, are intricate uh, intricate stories that require plenty of discernment so as to interpret them rightly. But again, all parables, both short and long, drive towards some truth about the kingdom of God. And that is, of course, what we see here in the parable of the soils. It's a simple, somewhat straightforward story. It's a sower doing his job, chucking out seed as if it didn't matter where it landed. Throwing it out, sowing it rather indiscriminately, getting the job done before sun sets, going across a plot of land, and the seeds fall in different kinds of soil. And here we see the various outcomes of each of these. Now this parable, the parable of the soils, that takes us from the sowing of seed all the way to the harvest of a hundredfold. And so a season passes even in these short verses. And all of this is a vivid picture of the kingdom principle stated in verse 8. He who has ears to let uh, to hear, let him hear. We'll see tonight that the kingdom of God belongs to those who truly hear the word of God. Uh, the kingdom of God belongs to those who truly hear the word of God. Now, before we get to the parable itself, there is just one more thing we need to do. We need to look at an important aspect of the purpose of all of Jesus' parables. And it's under our second heading. The second heading is the truth hidden. The truth hidden. Now, it's important to see that in Luke, as you go along the narrative into, verse, into chapter 8, that Jesus, up to this point in his ministry, has been, as it says in chapter 8, verse 1, you can look there, he has been proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And so before we ever get to verse 4, before we ever get to even chapter 8, Jesus has been proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He has already been preaching the good news of the salvation of God throughout the first two years or so of his ministry that have passed. In fact, turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and you see Jesus proclaiming the coming kingdom. Look at, look at Luke 4, and look at verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them, 
But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. It was so we even see in chapter 4 here, his popularity is beginning to rise. And Jesus says, leave me be. I've got to keep preaching. That's what I came for. Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God. And he's been doing that all throughout his ministry so far. And so now back in Luke 8, it's here that Jesus begins to regularly speak in parables, though, as he teaches about the kingdom of God. And he begin, as he begins to speak in parables, this is nothing new. He speaks about the kingdom of God. The content of his teaching remains the same. That he is proclaiming the kingdom of God as he always has. Uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 32 says, He has not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so he's doing that. The message remains the same. But as he begins to speak in parable, his teaching takes a different shape. And there is a very specific reason for that that's important to see. We're in Luke 8. Look at verse 9. This is after the parable of the sower is told. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said... To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that parables both indeed illustrate, but they also hide the truth. For some, his disciples who are seeking understanding of uh, kingdom realities, it is, he says, given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. This word secrets, here is the word we often see translated mysteries. They are things that before were not known, but are now being revealed graciously by God. And so Jesus is saying, through my teaching... God is showing you the things that no one understood before, but now through my teaching, disciples, you are now being revealed them. Jesus says to his disciples, just a couple chapters later in Luke 10, he says a similar thing, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it and so the disciples and us as jesus's disciples are blessed to see what we see and hear what we hear because jesus the great teacher is helping us here now at the same time here in luke 8 for others in that great crowd the parables jesus is saying here in verses 9 and 10 are intended to conceal the truth. Here Jesus quotes a portion of Isaiah 6 in the parallel passage in Matthew 13, quotes a large portion of Isaiah 6. And when Jesus says at the end of verse 10, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, 
turn to Isaiah 6 to begin to understand with me exactly what Jesus means when he is quoting this and why he would intend for these parables to hide the truth from some listening. We need to figure out why he would want to hide the truth. Look at Isaiah 6. It's a passage that, if you're not already familiar with, you should become familiar with. Here Isaiah is being commissioned by God uh, for prophetic ministry to God's people. And it's most well known to be a beautiful scene of God's holiness and His graciousness to Isaiah. But let's look at it to see why some will not see or hear God's truth. Look at verse 8 when Isaiah is being commissioned by the Lord. Isaiah, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now, what a peculiar commissioning, right? God is sending Isaiah out to preach to his people. And yet we see here that Isaiah's preaching ministry is one in which God has ordained that many will hear, but will not understand. Many will see, but will not perceive. And you see the turn in logic. Lest they turn and be healed. That is to say, God is saying to Isaiah, preach and no one will repent. Preach and so many who hear you will ignore you. Preach the word of God and the coming salvation. And many of those will turn a blind eye to what you have to say. Now Isaiah's teaching and prophecies about the coming salvation will be a judgment to God's people. And it's because they've refused the same message so many times over. You see, God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, you have spurned my truth time and time again. And so now I send you one of my greatest prophets, Isaiah, whose name is Salvation. And he will preach a message of coming salvation clearly. And it will be a judgment to you. And so God's people will be judged by Isaiah's message. Their dull hearts, their heavy ears, their blind eyes will prevent them from understanding 
and believing the truth. In other words, Isaiah's ministry to them will be a judgment on them for their unbelief. It will not be like we'd maybe expect and assume a vehicle for belief and growth like we think preaching is. His preaching will not, from a divine perspective, help them to see the truth. And why, we ask? How is that fair? Because prophet after prophet, sent from God, rejected and forsaken, a generation after generation of God's people, ignored and repudiated God and His law and His gracious dealings with them. Isaiah 1.4 is an accurate assessment of the people of God at this time. Isaiah 1.4 says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And so Isaiah's teaching was, yes, a declaration of the truth of God's salvation, but it was also a judgment to God's people for those who had rejected him so many times before. Now Isaiah 6 shows us, though, that a few would hear, a few would repent, a few would believe. A righteous remnant. Isaiah 6 calls it a stump. Uh, using the word picture of the terebinth or oak that is felled. And then there is a stump left over, a holy seed. But Isaiah's ministry was to serve as a judgment primarily against the hard-hearted, persistent rejection of God's people to the truth of God's salvation. He was to preach to the few who would truly hear, and that would mean salvation for them. And also he would preach to those who would not truly hear. And that would mean judgment for them. Well, in his ministry, Isaiah told of a coming salvation that would come through a suffering servant. Look at chapter 53 with me. Isaiah 53. A suffering servant who would accomplish a coming salvation. Isaiah 53, look at verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 700 years later, Jesus, the suffering servant, would come. 
And he came just like Isaiah, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Openly, clearly preaching the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of God. And so as we come to Luke 8, the parables are indeed powerful illustrations of truth. They are indeed windows through which we are to see great spiritual realities. But parables, by their very nature, Jesus is saying in Luke 8, 9 and 10, are intended to hide the truth. They are, like in Isaiah's ministry, a judgment on spiritual blindness of those who have rejected Him thus far of those who ignored uh, Jesus himself. As he said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For those who rejected uh, John the Baptist, who, who said, prepare the way for the one who takes away the sins of the world. And so for us, the parables are, yes, everyday illustrations that show us truth. But they are, in their very nature, thing, stories that veil the truth in such a way that they demand our careful, thoughtful interpretation. And sometimes, as we see here in Luke 8, they need Jesus himself to provide the explanation. Now, I want us just to stand back and consider for a moment that it is a grace of God to even to be able to do a series on the parables, to have them explained. God is revealing His truth to us in these stories. And so we ought to be careful and thoughtful and thankful as we approach His Word. Yet as we see in this parable, even the content of this very parable, explanation doesn't guarantee anything. You see, the truth of God's Word, whether in parable or in plain, must be truly heard. It must be received with a willing and a repentant heart. And so parables contain, hidden within them, the secrets of the kingdom of God. And to know those secrets is for those who are His disciples, who have hearts ready to receive His truth. Yet for those who have heard clearly the message of salvation and the kingdom of God and have rejected it, the parables hide the truth. They are a judgment on those who reject Christ, who have hearts hardened to the truth. Pastor John says it this way, in short, Jesus' parables had a clear twofold purpose. They hid the truth from self-righteous or self-satisfied people who fancied themselves too sophisticated to learn from Him. While the same parables revealed truth to eager souls with childlike faith, those who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And so that's what makes this parable in particular, the parable of the soils, so poignantly appropriate as we begin this series. You see, the core truth of the parable of the soils is the very heart of all of the parables themselves. 
That as we examine these great stories of Jesus, we will see what it means to be those who truly hear God's word. And so let's look more closely now at this parable as Jesus unfolds this truth about hearing. And I'll be under our third heading, the parable explained. The parable explained. Look at Luke 8 and verse 11. Jesus says this. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. There are four soils in this parable, and each represents the soil of a different kind of heart, all of which are exposed to the seed of God's Word. And so that would mean that, at least in Luke 8, the sower is Jesus. And by extension, anyone who preaches the Gospel and the truth of God's Word. And we see in the sower's haste to sow his seed, there is this first batch of seed that falls on the path. So, maybe really not a soil at all. Verse 5 tells us the detail that the seed was trampled underfoot and eaten by birds, taken up by birds of the air. Well, Here in verse 12, Jesus tells us that this is those who have heard the word of God and yet whom Satan has in his opposition to God and his kingdom somehow prevented these from truly hearing. Friends, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people every year as we do gospel ministry on this campus who are like this soil. This is the stark and sad reality of shining a light in a dark place like this. And yet as we gather tonight, let this not escape you. This is Jesus' warning to each and every one of us that we ought to examine ourselves, to stop and think, because your ears are indicative of your heart. If you have deaf ears to God's Word, you might have a heart of stone. And so this first soil is those who do not truly hear. They do not believe. It's a scary reality. The second soil is only slightly different, slightly better. 
Look again at verse 13. And the ones uh, on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. This is seed that has fallen on rocky soil. Now, this isn't New England rocky soil or dangerous for lawnmowers kind of rocky soil. This is soil that is only inches on top of a layer of thick limestone, which is common in that area. And so there is no water retention and therefore no possibility for growth in this kind of rocky soil. Now, Jesus here with this word picture gives us an insight into a caricature we know all too well. Someone who seems to receive the word of God and he says here with joy. And yet the storms and trials of life overwhelm this person. I think that's why the Bible shows us the importance of steadfast faith under trials. Trials that are ordained by God to strengthen and test faith. Uh, trials that give you a tearful, fearful opportunity to trust Jesus more dearly. I think of James 1. Look there with me. James 1. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so while trials are a crucible for true faith, this kind of a rocky soil faith Jesus shows us, fizzles out in the face of trials. And those words that doom us, they fall away. They fall away. The soil also is those who do not truly hear the word of God. They do not believe. There's a third soil in verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This soil is sadly more of the same. It receives the word, and yet it is choked out by the thorns. But what Jesus says here is the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. This soil does not truly hear as well. I'm so afraid that in a college ministry like ours, that this is some of you. That you seem like you truly hear. By all appearances, you listen, you take notes, you try not to fall asleep, you hear the Word of God spoken. But I'm fearful that you don't truly hear the Word of God the way that Jesus means here. I'm fearful that 
What now is for you spiritually innocent sort of hunger for a successful career? What is just research and comparison for the specialties in your field? And Sure, how much they all make. Or what is pondering the salary range in your field and then related ones that you're smart enough to also get into if you chose to? That all of these things can be innocent endeavors that can so quickly become the thorns that are the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life that might end up exposing who you really are and what your faith really is in the long run. It's the caution that Paul issues in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's also what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what this parable is saying, what this third soil means for us, is it's, it's not that you can't have things and do stuff in this life. It's that for those whose souls belong to an eternal kingdom, the things in this life should pale in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That to know Christ is to find security and satisfaction in Him, casting all your cares upon Him who perfectly cares for you, to find true riches in forsaking all to follow Him, and finding pleasures forevermore at His right hand not being entangled in the thorny cares and pleasures and riches of this world. Notice how that third soil looks. It seems good. It grows a little bit. It even has some kind of fruit, at least at first. It's got a seat in the room. It shows up at church, maybe even for years. And yet Jesus shows us here that time does tell. You see, in our parable, it's the season of harvest that passes. For us, it may be years of life that must pass for us to see that the perseverance and integrity of this kind of thorny soil faith wears thin. It is lured into the temporal, claiming Jesus and feigning faith all along. 
justifying its earthly desires all the way to the narrow gate. And yet a camel has a better chance of fitting through the eye of a needle. Because what's to show for this kind of person who grips so tightly onto the world? Nothing. Jesus says here, their fruit does not mature. There is no good fruit. There is no lasting evidence of true faith. It's the bar set by Jesus himself in Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Friends, the kingdom reality of these first three soils is one and the same. They are those who do not truly hear. And they do not truly hear because they do not truly believe. You see, hearing is rooted in believing. Your spiritual ears are connected to your heart. And for these soils, there is no true and lasting belief. If you don't know Jesus tonight, you need to know Him. To find all satisfaction in a Savior. You see, the one who teaches these things is the very king of the kingdom we speak of tonight. He, he is the one that through his eventual death on the cross reconciled us to God the Father. And so we have a way to God, a salvation, and it's through this Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's through that death that there's a fourth and final soil. And praise God that there is. It's only by His grace that this soil exists. Look at verse 15. As for that and the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The last soil is the soil of a heart that has genuine, saving faith. It truly hears. And it responds in belief. And that belief, it bears actual good fruit. Now, verse 8 tells us this seed grows into a plant or a tree that bears fruit 100-fold. It's a staggering sort of fruitfulness from an agricultural perspective. Now, from the perspective of the truth in this parable, we see in this soil a responsiveness to the truth that is indicative of true faith. There is, when the Word of God is put forth, whether in a gospel presentation and it's heard for the thousandth time, or in a sermon, or in reading the Bible, there is a sifting and a pondering, a truly hearing and engaging a hunger and a willingness in this kind of a heart to grab just even one snippet of truth every time God's word is opened. That is the honest and good heart that we see in this fourth soil. Note also there's a steadfastness, uh, an endurance that isn't in the other soils. Soil too receives it with joy, but it's temporary. This soil 
verse 15, holds it fast in an honest and good heart and bears fruit with patience. The word there is perseverance or steadfastness. This is a grace-wrought, lifelong, constantly cultivated posture of truly listening and receiving God's word, of hearing and bearing fruit with perseverance. Unlike the second and third soils, no trial or temptation can get the better of this fourth soil. It holds fast and is held fast like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. It's a beautiful picture of someone who truly hears the word of God. Now finally, in Luke 8, Jesus takes what has been taught already in this parable, and he applies it even further. In our fourth heading, the principle reinforced. The principle reinforced. Now Jesus is finished explaining the parable. Uh, But here in the two paragraphs following, he reinforces the truth we've already seen. Look at verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who truly hear the word of God, those who hold it fast in an honest and good heart, bear fruit with patience. Those who truly hear, not only hear the word of God, but they also do it. You see, they are like a lamp that cannot be covered up, but that must shine forth the very truth with which they were lit. They are Jesus' true family, those who truly know Him and love Him and will be with Him forever. And so if the seed of God's Word is sown into your heart, hear the Word of God and do it. And if the Word of God says to forgive, hear it. And forgive. If the word of God says be pure, then hear the word of God and pursue holiness. If the word of God says to love, then hear it and love even when it's difficult. James 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And then later in that same passage, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Hear the words of our Savior. 
he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. This parable helps us to see the great need that we all have uh, to not only have a heart that believes, but Father, have ears that hear your truth. We don't know how this harvest season ends. And so that's why for each one of us, Father, we can never be so sure of our own salvation apart from the work of Christ and the sureness of the salvation we find in Him. And so, Father, day in and day out, as we open Your Word, as we listen to Your Word, as we think upon the truth that we find in Your Word, help us to, to Father, be devoted to truly hearing Your Word, believing it, and doing it such that we would be those who are yours, Father, and such that we would be those who are a lamp unto this lost and dying world. So, Father, instill these truths in our hearts, Father. Give us a posture of humility and teachability that is befitting to the truth that we've heard tonight. And, Father, would you bless this series as this month we look at the stories of Jesus. Help us to gather much and gain much and grow much because of the teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So, Father, we sing now, Lord, with thankful hearts, humbled before you in response to what we've just heard. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.